0: Hello and welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast this week coming to you from Cambridge. My name is Dan Schreiber and please welcome to the stage, it's the regular elves, Andy Murray, Anna Chizinski and James Harkin. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days, and in no particular order, here we go. Starting
1: with you, Andy Murray. My fact this week is that before trains had corridors, guards had to climb along the outside of the carriage to check your ticket. <laughs> <laughs> that is so amazing. And they did it while the train was moving. <laughs> And this was a thing. This this happened. Um, carriages out. used to not be... You couldn't go through a carriage. You would get in at one end, they'd close the door, they'd lock it. You were locked in for the whole journey. Then at the other end, they'd unlock it and out you'd get. And it was just across the train instead of <laughs> f- uh, front to back through the train.
2: Were you locked in for health and safety reasons
3: <laughs> <laughs> that required?
1: I think partly you were locked in so you wouldn't try and sneak into first class.
3: Wow. wow. Yeah. I don't think they were that bothered about health and safety if you have a guy climbing on the outside <laughs> well, of the train. Well, indeed,
2: that's, that's where it seems to fall down. How did it <laughs> get... Was there a ledge?
3: There was a
1: little... Uh, they call it a running board. So just on the outside of the carriage he at the ran. bottom, just a little plate that you could climb on. But it wasn't even a continuous running board. It was intermittent, so you had to <laughs> climb along between the bits. And the, the, the people did suggest, why don't we give people a continuous running board? And the train company said, no, no, passengers will use them to sneak into first class. <laughs>
3: How good was first class? <laughs> it,
1: wasn't, it, wasn't that, it was awful because it was 1840.
0: So. Well, yeah, yeah. Why these
2: people so desperate.
0: So, yeah. I bet in those days you just had to always know where your ticket was, because <laughs> if you were stuck there going, oh, where is it? And this guy's outside going,
1: find the ticket. There is a tunnel coming. <laughs> How, how fast did the trains used to go? Well, these were really early ones, so maybe... I mean, about 40 miles an hour, comfortably.
3: People thought that if they went over a certain speed, then your body wouldn't be able to deal with it, didn't they? Yeah. yeah. I, they oh. said that um, the human body would not be able to endure speeds of 25 miles per hour. Someone said that to start off with. And then someone else in America wrote that if a woman's body accelerated past 50 miles an hour, then her uterus would go shooting out of her body. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And that's the plot of Speed (laughs) 3. You'll never look at Sandra Bullock the same way again. (laughs) When trains first got to the Isle of Wight... Um, well, they were taken to the Isle of Wight, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> it, wasn't like a, it wasn't a rogue train. Which
3: <laughs> went off ev- the rails.
1: <laughs> um, so the first ever journey, it was a four-mile track and it went along its route in less than ten minutes. And I think that's, I've worked, worked it out, about 30 miles an hour, give or take. We're not sure exactly the time. But that was apparently faster than anyone had ever travelled on the Isle of Wight until that point in history. Oh. Which is pretty oh. cool.
0: Um, I was reading about in the 1800s, 1827, there was a race between a train and a horse. Um, But, and check it out, this is a bit unfair on the horse's side. The horse was towing a train. (laughs) That is unfair. It it was back in the day when uh, horses used to pull trains uh, prior to the engine. And so, this was an example of showing that potentially an engine could beat. Uh, A horse, and it probably would have, but one of the wheels or a little band around the wheels burst... And so they had to stop the train. So it wasn't the lead, and then the horse took over. But there was an actual, let's have this as a big race, horse versus train.
2: <laughs> I, so things were always going wrong. So at the um, 1829 display of, you know, which train is the best train, 10 different types of train entered this competition. Um, five of them didn't even show up on the day, so I think broke <laughs> down before they made it to the venue. Um, so five trains entered, Stevenson's Rocket being one of them, um, and only one of them completed the trial. So Stevenson's Rocket didn't win because it was the best. It won because it was the only train that managed to not break. Oh, or, wow. So the cycloped... Do you remember the cycloped train, which was one of the... I don't the...
3: remember it personally. <laughs> I, I mean, I know I'm older I than did... the rest of you, but... I did look at you directly there for a reason.
2: <laughs> uh, the cycloped train sounds like a, quite a cool design, which is a... It's led by a horse, but it's a horse on a treadmill, and the, horse, the treadmill <laughs> that the horse is walking on powers the train. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so really cool. But the horse, at the demonstrations, the horse fell through the floor of the train... <laughs> (laughs) And so that failed, obviously.
0: I once uh, fell on a treadmill. (laughs) Anyone want to hear that? No? Really? Oh, okay. I was, a, I was a kid. It was my first time on a treadmill. So one of the ones that you put the actual, it was electric, and it was, and it was going like crazy. And I put it up to 10, and I thought, this is going to be incredible. And I tested with my hands on the side whether I could run on it. I thought, yeah, that's easy. So yeah. with one jump, I just jumped onto it, and immediately my two legs went whoop, and I fell <laughs> on my face on it. I got shot off the back, but it was on a carpet, and so everything went right off it except for my
1: face. And for about half a minute, I was going bong, bong,
3: bong, 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 bong. bong. <laughs> that- explains an awful lot. <laughs> <laughs> it does also
1: explain why you didn't get into OK Go.
2: <laughs> Do you guys know about the city of Crush in Texas? No. Uh, it was, for an extremely brief period, the second largest city in Texas. This was in 1896. And that was because 40,000 people came to it and that was because someone had decided to stage a train crash. Um, so this was... 40,000 people went to... It was organized by this guy called uh, William Crush. Uh, and he said, <laughs> I guess... my be- name. Because of, yeah. <laughs> He said he was going to just fire two trains towards each other. So he had, like, four miles of track created for the purpose, and 40,000 people came, and there was such demand that people did have to sit on top of trains in order to get there because they couldn't squeeze into the carriages. Um, And then at 5 p.m., these two trains started going towards each other, picking up speed, picking up speed, and uh, Crush stood right in the middle of the railway on a white horse, and then he waved a big flag saying they're coming. It's all right, he survived. Oh, thank God. (laughs) Uh, He stepped out of the way sort of at the last minute. The two trains crashed into each other um, both of their boilers exploded and a bunch of people died everyone <laughs> so when you
1: said it's alright it? <laughs> it wasn't completely alright
2: well here's the thing Crush got fired that evening and then the company that he worked for relented and hired him again the next day <laughs> the rail company and he worked at the same rail company for the rest of his life
3: wow. what
0: um, we're going to need to move on to the next oh, fact soonish okay. uh, so, anything else um,
3: there's a guy called Andrew Dowd he's from Wigan up in my neck of the woods uh, and he visited all 2500 and 48 railway stations in Britain between 2010 and 2014 in his car.
1: LAUGHTER <laughs> Need we ask why?
3: (laughs) Um, Well, people asked him that in the newspaper articles, but he didn't really kind of have a very good reason. He he said, I started doing it round near where I lived and I kind of enjoyed it, so I thought I'd do the whole country. Uh, And they said to him, asked him what he did, and he said, I take a little look around if it's interesting, but most aren't very interesting. (laughs) Just, why not? You know? yeah.
2: I like to think there's an equivalent train driver who's planning to visit all the petrol stations in Britain
1: <laughs> <laughs> on the train. <laughs> Wouldn't it be visiting all the car parking spaces?
2: You're right, it was a bad that analogy. The... <laughs> yeah, that's better.
1: No, it's harder to visit all the car parking spaces because there are so many these days. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs>
0: okay, <laughs> time for fact number two. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and that is James Harkin.
3: Okay, uh, my fact this week is that Ernest Shackleton's dog's names included Slippery Slobbers, Satan, Painful, Swanker, Bummer, and Bob. It's <laughs> <laughs> Swanker sure for he's a wanker? <laughs> Do we know the history? Um, well, they, were, they all had different names for different reasons. I got this fact actually from a guy on Twitter called at 164 and it made me laugh, and so I thought I'd use it on the podcast. And it, it kind of fits in with one thing that I like, which is just going through lists of ridiculous data and trying to find funny bits or whatever. <laughs> um, but they, they got the names for lots of different reasons. Some of them were nicknames <laughs> to people on the um, ship. So it could have been short for He's a Wanker, I guess. It's possible. Um, The the dogs all came from Canada, and they had names already. So some of them, like Bob, was already a name, and they just kept that. Uh, But some of them were changed, like Bismarck, Napoleon, and three dogs all named Carlos. Wow! They had to change all of those. What a great name for a dog. Yeah. <laughs> What's
0: the, in just like a basic two sentences or a few more, um, Shackleton, just the background of Shackleton? Uh,
3: polar explorer, um, went down to try and get to the South Pole, didn't quite make it, became the furthest south uh, that anyone had ever got. Edmondson, uh beat him to the South Pole and so he went on another expedition to go across the whole of the South Pole from one side to the other. Uh, and then that ended in disaster again and he became famous for a big sort of... Escape from um, the the ice-filled islands of Elephant Island. Okay.
2: And now you don't need to watch the twelve-part documentary <laughs> on Shackleton. Um, I like this. Uh, so there were a bunch of quite interesting people on board the expedition. Yeah. So they had like a, official photographer um, Frank Hurley, who used to like risk his life trying to get good photos because his only priority on this life-endangering expedition was to make sure he could make money when he sold the pictures when he got back. So he'd climb right to the top of the mast or go out, you know, onto the yard arm and hang from it to take good photos. And they also had uh, an on ship artist and i just like this quote i can't remember where i read this uh in an account of when they were stranded on elephant island so they were sort of like we're definitely going to die now no one's going to find us here how on earth are we going to survive and at one point it was said the ship's artist george marston allowed his remaining oil paints to be used as glue to make the canvases cover the shelter properly. And I like the idea that there was a little bit of a debate there.
1: (laughs) Um, I have more facts about the dogs. Oh, Oh, yeah. So they were trapped on the ice for months and months and months. I think 15 months, maybe? Uh, I mean, an amazing amount of time. Um, So Frank Hurley wrote loads of notes about all the dogs. And there was Shakespeare, uh, steamer, wallaby, Satan, who was a treacherous brute. Sue is a flirt. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
3: They've been on the ice for a long time, haven't
1: they? Bummer. <laughs> um, um and then there was Snapper. Does not snap at all. <laughs>
3: um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> and they built, they built the dogs a town. They built a little town they called Dog Town. They built a load of dog igloos oh, out of nice. ice and wood. Um, and they built a pup loo for the puppies that had been born. And they built a pig loo because they had some pigs with them as well.
3: A wow. pigloo. Yeah. <laughs> that's great, isn't it? It's really cool.
1: <laughs> um, but they ate a lot of these animals. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and the, they, yeah, they had a ship's cat as well. They did. The ship's cat was called Mr. Chippy. Mrs. Um, Chippy? Uh, yes, Mrs. Chippy, but it was, but it was a Mrs. male. Yeah. That's right. Uh, and it belonged to the cruise carpenter, <laughs> Harry McNeish. Uh And they decided to kill it because it was using up a lot of the meat. Um, but Harry McNiss was not very happy about that at all and got into a massive fight with Shackleton, didn't he?
2: Yeah. He was Scottish, wasn't he? Yeah, that's Harry- right. Harry McNeish. And uh, someone who met him said the only thing I ever heard him talk about was the fact that Shackleton killed his cat, which... You know, they were in a difficult spot, I think.
1: Mm. But he he then really got furious, and he he and Shackleton, as you say, had a huge rout, and he was the only one of the expedition. I think all 28 men survived. There was a separate supply mission where a few of the men died, but all of the men with Shackleton survived. It was this huge survival story. He was the only one later denied this polar medal That all the others got for insubordination. Wow. You know that um,
0: Shackleton's medals went up for sale in auction not too long ago, and they got a ridiculous amount of money. It was about £800,000. And I started looking into the kind of stuff that gets auctioned off from those trips. um, Discovered that, um, this is quite recent, um, one of the biscuits that they didn't eat (laughs) went up for auction recently (laughs) and was bought for (laughs) €1,250. I definitely would have bought that. That's so cheap. A biscuit from a Shackleton adventure?
1: They, they ate the dogs before eating that biscuit. <laughs> <laughs>
0: No, because probably someone went, when we bring this back, this biscuit will be worth a fortune. (laughs) No, but so um, apparently um, Shackleton uh, was giving one of his fellow explorers, Frank Wilde, a biscuit from one of the rations. uh, And Wilde recorded in the diary, and this is how spare food was back then, uh, thousands of pounds would not have bought that biscuit. So that's how great it was. And so it's quite nice that now it has gone for over a thousand pounds. I love, so like, because I read also as well recently in an auction, um, the head of the Scouts, Robert Baden-Powell, um, a letter that he wrote to an autograph hunter saying you should not become an autograph hunter recently sold at an auction to an autograph hunter. <laughs> 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 it's great when auctions have that little Very twist cool. on them. Yeah.
1: There was another biscuit. Um, do you want to hear about the world's most expensive biscuit? Yeah. Do you just happen I, to have a biscuit fact well, on I found, you? That... Well, I, I also saw the thing about the Shackleton biscuit, oh, right, okay. and then I thought, what's the most a biscuit's ever gone for? Um, so a few, week, this is a few weeks ago, it happened in October this year, um, a biscuit from the Titanic, was auctioned. What? Yeah, it sold for fifteen thousand pounds. Wait, how? Where?
3: How
0: did
1: a biscuit it survive? Had made its way into a lifeboat. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I mean someone. <laughs> it was it, it. was in a box, and someone um, took the box, and when they escaped the ship on a li- and it was yeah. in a sealed iron box or something. So, and that was one. Of those that was one of the lifeboats which was picked up. So yeah, that's, wow. Yeah. So that's the most expensive biscuit ever so far. Yeah, I don't want to rule out any future biscuits. <laughs> go for more.
3: Yeah. Um, I had a look for some unusual dog names. And um, <laughs> there was a website called petinsurance.com that collected a load of unusual dog names. Um, but at the same time, by coincidence, I also found a list of the most unusual nicknames that men have for their genitals.
1: Okay. Ah. Are we going to play dog or genital? <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll just read them in the order I have them. Uh, Baron von Furry Pants. <laughs> oh. <laughs> dog. Correct. Ah. Uh. Lord Chubby Pruneface. <laughs> Genital. Genital. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a dog as well. Uh. No, no. Um Simon Wiggles potato. <laughs> what? Simon what? <laughs> Simon Wiggles Potato. Genital. No, dog. Uh. You got a dirty mind. <laughs> okay. Prince Patches O'Hoolihan Third of Wilshire. <laughs> dog. Dog? Yeah. yeah, they were all dogs. Oh. I, I wouldn't give you any genitals. In
2: the 15th century, the Duke of York, this is what he spent his time doing in those days, he wrote a list of 1,100 names that he considered appropriate for hunting dogs uh, really? to, to advise people on what to call their dogs. So they were things like Troy. Genitals. N- <laughs> genitals, yeah. Um, nose-wise. Nameless. <laughs> apparently <Nice>. Clench, <laughs> uh, Brag, Ringwood, and Holdfast. So there you go. That's cool. what you're allowed to call your dogs, according to the Duke of York in the 15th century. If you ever wow. find yourself there,
0: C- can I bring up a famous dog name? Yes, please. Mm-hmm. So Lassie. Oh yeah. Lassie was originally called Pal, and that that was the dog's name. Pal. Pal did all of the movies. It was the single dog that did it. So when Pal died. They then took the litter, and when they grew up, they replaced Lassie. They became the next Lassies. So every single Lassie that you'd see in the early days was a descendant of the original Lassie. Wow. Okay. Yeah, and then there was a huge controversy, I think it was in 1997, where suddenly the first non-blood-related Lassie was used. And there were... yeah. <laughs> and there were genuine protests and people said, this is not on. And they were like, well, no, but we don't. And so they, they buckled and then they did bring in another descendant of one of the descendants of Lassie. And then again, when another revival happened, they brought in another unrelated non-Bloodline dog. Again, people freaked out. And it's been like that for ages up until very recently. And now one of the bloodline has come back into the fold and is the current
1: Lassie. But that's, that's like that's like saying that James Bond should be played by Sean Connery's grandson. Yes. <laughs> I just, I just, I love that somewhere, somewhere in the
0: world, someone is protesting strongly against something, and we have no idea yeah. for years and years. Do we
2: know how many? Was it like Iraq War style no. level? No, it was you... me,
0: my mum, my sister, <laughs> and at least six of us. Yeah, I don't know to be honest.
2: So Shackleton had a stowaway on board, didn't he? Did he? Did
0: he? Um, yeah, he Quite did. He regretted that decision. <laughs> <laughs> Should be landing in a nice warm country by now. Oh. <laughs> What happened?
2: He was a guy called... He was a sailor called Purse Blackborough. And um, he was actually helped to sneak on board. He was he just really wanted to be part of the expedition. And he was discovered after three days, as I assume he expected to be. What was he going to do? Like, hide on the ship for a year? And so he was discovered after three days. And Shackleton, you know, was you know, threatened him a little bit and said, I can't believe you've done this, you bastard. And eventually said, OK, you can stay, but only if you sign this agreement saying, if you stay, you'll be the first person to be eaten if we need to start eating each other. And so he signed that agreement, and if they had had to eat each other, he would have been the first person to go. (laughs) The
3: nibbling on him, he's going, but there's
2: biscuits
0: still! (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, time for our next fact, fact number three, and that's my fact. My fact this week is that according to a recent theory, Stonehenge was built as part of a team-building
1: exercise.
3: (laughs) (laughs) That's i love a that. big
1: big away day isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so
0: this is this is there are a lot of theories by the way about what how stonehenge came about but the idea is that uh rather than it being a place that people return to and so on they seem to have found evidence uh that it was occupied for about a decade and that so it must have been built in that period of years and then they left it once it was done because apparently there weren't a lot of people back then and the idea was to create something where people could come together get to know each other but do something that was a team building exercise and the guy described it as Glastonbury festival and a motorway building scheme at the same time that's that's what it was yeah
1: someone said we're having a team building exercise you need to book the next 10 years (laughs) off work (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's true so when i read that sentence i thought oh i bet that's
0: that's a really mad idea which obviously it probably is (laughs) but i did think it was druids that had built it and that it was part of this whole this religion thing this cult thing that they were doing and it turns out that just we have no idea how it got there there were so many theories and they're all amazing theories another recent theory it's a prehistoric glockenspiel (laughs) because <laughs> apparently, if you hit it, it rings in a really nice way. Acoustically, it's very amazing. So
2: the hitting hitting the stones thing does seem like a bridge too far for me. But um, <laughs> the, it does have exactly the same acoustics. It's like a concert hall or a, a theatre or something, or a theatre where you'd have musicals on. And so they do think that it was designed specifically so that the mu- like you know, any sounds inside it would oh, that is good. rebound. The well. thing that Dan
3: said about the druids having built it. Um, It's quite interesting that um, there is evidence that people um, were doing something at Stonehenge for every period from when it was built to now, apart from the late Iron Age, which is the very time when the (laughs) Druids were supposed to have been around. And that's the only time in history we don't really have any evidence of anything having happened there.
1: They did have a load of druids there. They had a ceremony there in 1905 where 259 druids were inducted into druidism. But they were really mercilessly teased by the press on account of the fact that a lot of them had fake beards. <laughs> 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 well, this, this, here's a
0: very interesting fact about um, Stonehenge. Uh, someone actually bought it at one point. Oh, yeah. So it was sold at auction in a lot and this husband called Cecile Shubb was sent by his wife to go to this auction and he saw it was up for sale and he thought, oh, that'll be a nice present for my wife. (laughs) Um, But when he got home, she was furious at him (laughs) because she'd
1: sent him to the auction to buy codons that she liked and he came back with a henge. He said that he bought it on a whim in the auction room. Yes. He said, I just thought a local guy should own it because he lived really nearby. So it's sort of a nice story that he bought it for his wife. And the, the thing about curtains is kind of too good to check. but it's yeah, Right, it's okay. Uh, another
0: recent theory, it was a barbecue site. <laughs> <laughs>
1: This is So they found
0: a bunch of bones of animals <laughs> yeah. and uh, when they were looking at their bones, they could see burn marks on it that suggested that quite like an Aussie barbecue, they were just sort of turning them over and <laughs> cooking them nicely. So
3: It's amazing what they can do with the archaeology. They find bones and they assume that it must be a barbecue or whatever. Um, I read one thing uh, that in the Iron Age in Wales, they had an annual party where the guests only ever ate the right foreleg of pigs. And they found that because they just found a big pile of the specific one leg of pigs all the time, and they lasted for years and years and years, and it seemed like they came from one year after another after another, and they assumed that they just must have had this big party where you just got one leg off a pig and everyone ate it. And we're
2: sure that in those days, it wasn't just that pigs only had one right foreleg. (laughs) (laughs) They were like a pogo stick.
3: (laughs) That's an excellent point. Definitely possible.
2: (laughs) Um, I was having a look through the uh, British newspaper archive to see which, so that goes back about 300 years and gives you newspaper records from that time to see kind of what people thought of Stonehenge in the past. And so a lot of the articles in, in the early 1800s, so around 1840, everyone thought that it had been brought over by the Egyptians. So people thought the stones from Stonehenge oh, had been oh, really? brought over from Africa to Egypt, and then the Egyptians, because they were considered such a civilised uh, race or such a civilised people, and they had much better mechanics and engineering than we did. We were all still, you know, stuck in... Oh, they great. also thought for a time that it was only built about 1,000 years ago. which oh, oh! You know, I have
1: a theory on this. When was Stonehenge built? Like
2: 2,800 yeah, BC. Okay, years
1: ago. what would you say if I told you it was 1958? <laughs> <laughs> I'd say, Dan, be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> almost every single stone at Stonehenge has been moved between 1901 and 1964. No. Yeah, the, almost every single one. So they were either moved or they were straightened. Some of them were set in concrete. Mm. This was yeah. just very early 20th century guys saying, "Ah, it's not quite right, is it? Why don't we just bodge it up and put some concrete under it?" <laughs> and they were, it was very early, cat-handed preservation. So I say that Stonehenge was built in the late 50s.
3: <laughs> yeah,
1: that's yeah. a that's a great theory.
3: Um, You said that people thought that these stones came from Egypt, but they actually came from Wales, didn't they? Uh, They came from the Presley Hills in Wales. Uh, We know that now because of um, x-rays and stuff like that. Um, But for 90 years, they were trying to dig on this particular hill, and then they found out that they were digging on the wrong hill. And it was another one one mile away that they should have been digging at. (laughs) And uh, Dr Richard Bevins of the National Museum of Wales, he was the guy who found this out, and he said, I don't expect to be getting any Christmas cards from the archaeologists who have been excavating at the wrong place for the last 90 years.
1: (laughs) Well, most of them will be dead by now. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
3: um, we're so going to need to move on soon, by the way. Um, okay, I have one quick thing. Um, there's a company called Giacomo who make um, clothes, especially for men. Uh, and they did a catalogue called The Architecture of Men to identify modern kind of builds. And they said that Simon Cowell and Ricky Gervais are built like Stonehenge. What? <laughs> okay. Apparently they have short, stocky build, broad shoulders and chunky legs. According to Giacomo, uh, Russell Crowe and Jay Z look like the Tyne Bridge, according to these guys. What? And James Corden looks like the Gherkin. Harsh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very harsh. Um, the Tasmanian town of uh, Buckland
1: built a replica of Stonehenge. There are loads of replicas all over the world. So uh, there's a place called Phonehenge in South Carolina, <laughs> and there's a place called um, Carhenge in Kansas made of old cars. And there's a
0: there's a live webcam that you can watch. I watched it um, for hours <laughs> the other day. Uh, it's not much goes on. It's
3: just
1: <laughs> a camera pointing at a Carhenge. But yeah, yeah you can watch that. Um, but the Tasmanian there was a Tasmanian town uh, called Buckland which built one, and it was demolished by the authorities. And on the Wikipedia page for it says, in keeping with the original. Original Stonehenge, it did not have the necessary planning approval from the local council.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, time for our final fact of the evening, and that is Chazinski.
2: Oh, uh, yeah, my fact is that Utah has a 106-acre forest that's made out of one tree. And this tree is so cool. It's called Pando, and it or some people call it the Trembling Giant, and it's uh it's uh a quaking aspen tree and it's a clonal colony which means that basically it's got the same root system all the branches that stick up out of the ground are clones of the original tree so it's all completely interconnected every single bit of it is genetically identical to every single other bit of it and yeah it takes up 106 acres and it's this one tree that's Amazing. astonishing it's incredible it's so good pando means in latin i spread which is why it's called that oh, um, and it's great. also the heaviest known organism uh, it's in, really old as well so the average age of like each indiv- if you went into this forest and you saw one of the trees it would be 130 years old but the age of the roots is thought to be about 80,000 years old but could Whoa. be 200,000 years old 400,000 200,000 oh, no, don't be oh, ridiculous <laughs> 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 isn't that amazing That's this amazing. tree though has been growing for 200,000 years Was it, is it one
1: th- tree though or is it loads yeah. and loads of trees it's
2: definitely one tree there, it's the same it? organism it's one it organism. Definitely. It's okay. all completely interconnected. It's just like a tree whose branches go underground and then come back up again. Wow. It is. Very yeah, cool. It's so great.
0: Um, so Utah, where this, where it is, this forest. Um, Utah's really amazing. I didn't realize how cool Utah is. So mm. Utah is where um, Kentucky Fried Chicken's from. Um. <laughs> absolutely true. Are you sure? Yeah, absolutely true. Uh, um, Colonel Sanders was visiting Utah and there was an existing restaurant and he went inside the restaurant and he and he went there specifically because he liked the owners and he said i have this interesting chicken and so um he he did the recipe and they advertised outside he was away when they started selling it in the shop and they said what should we call it and it could have been utah fried chicken he he's said, from kentucky you call it
3: ufc people will just be fighting all
0: the time. <laughs> <laughs> ah. so uh kentucky fried chicken uh they said let's call it kentucky fried chicken because he's from kentucky and then when he came back he realized how how big it was and they opened up the first- ever kfc there and then it spread around america so their kentucky fried chicken really? is from really? utah wow yeah. i did
3: not know that that's, that's
0: very cool yeah and also nasa planned for our trips to mars there so in the utah desert they have these stations where they put astronauts in for a bunch of days weeks months and, and while i was reading this i discovered something I, I never heard of this um nasa has actually created or at least someone from nasa a mars flag do you know we have a Mars what? flag? What? No. Yeah. What does
3: that mean? What's that for it's, when we go to for Mars? For when
0: we go to Mars. We have a flag now. And if you look at it, it's like the French flag. It's sort of uh, vertical stripes, three, okay. and it starts red and then it goes. Red. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> red. <laughs> so it's, it, yeah, it goes red and then green and then blue. And the idea is that it's, that's gradually how we would be making the planet. And I'd wow. never known this. So Mars has good. a flag
2: what about when we get there and the Martians say we have our own <laughs> flag <flanks? laughs> Did you, have you guys seen the this is not your topic but New Zealand is uh, trying to redesign its flag at the moment oh, well right. actually the, the final design may have gone through now have you seen the suggestions for the no. newly designed flag and I've always thought I don't understand why flags in the world are so boring and they've really nailed it this time so a lot of the entries that have been submitted are I think the best one was of a kiwi which was not the same colour as a kiwi I can't remember what colour it is and it's shooting red lasers out of its eyes <laughs> Into the corner of the flag. And that's being reported as yes, and we'll give it a good a good thing. Yeah.
0: Wow. Uh,
3: anyway, back, back to trees. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so there is a tree of the year in Europe every year. Uh, and this year's tree of the year is an Estonian oak tree that's in the middle of a football field. Uh, it's in the Arisare Stadium. Uh, And if you Google it, you can see pictures of it. It's right in the middle of a pitch, (laughs) like literally in the middle of a stadium. Uh, And according to Visit Estonia, when the stadium was being built, the Soviet technology could not beat the oak and therefore it was never uprooted. (laughs) What? And so it's kind of a sign of... Like, oh, I see. You sort know. of independence ah. and pride. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Uh, and then it also says on the website, today everyone is so used to their extra player on the field <laughs> that the tree is hardly noticed during the games. <laughs> <laughs> and I promise you, it is massive. <laughs> there is no way that the ball does not hit this tree every single time <laughs> it goes anywhere.
0: Well, so uh, that was Tree of the Year 2015, and they're gearing up to uh, announce... Tree of the Year 2016 nominations have begun uh, and I read the British nominations this year so a tree featured in the Game of Thrones series has been nominated which is very exciting a bit of a celeb pick isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) they're all celeb picks from Britain it's going to be like (laughs) Eurovision all over again Because there's classic trees in it. There's the tree that the, Mar- uh, the Magna Carta was supposedly signed oh, yeah. under. Okay. There's um, the tree where Charles II hid. There's the tree oh, yeah. where apparently Robin Hood hid under as well. Okay. Um,
2: <laughs> there must be the Fortingle U then. The, this is the tree that apparently it's the oldest tree in Britain and possibly in Europe. And it's the tree under which, legend says, Pontius Pilate hid. It's in, Pontius Pilate? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: He left... The M- Middle East. Yeah, to after... hang out in Scotland
2: under a tree. Yeah, it's thought that that's where he went, wow. and this has beca- hit the news recently because uh, so it's about five thousand years old. It's thought so, possibly the oldest tree in Europe, and it is just having a sex change. So it's mid-op right now. So what, what? what, what on do earth mean? does that mean? It's been a male for well almost five thousand years, and it's just so it doesn't produce fruit. So a lot of plants, I think most plants actually don't have genders, but a lot of plants are either male or female have male parts or female parts and it's been a male for almost 5,000 years and someone noticed recently it was growing fruit which the men don't do and one of its arms is having a sex change and becoming a female. Wow. wow. So
3: that's good, good for the 14-year-old you. Wow.
2: wow that's yeah. astonishing. Uh,
3: yeah. They're England's tallest tree uh, is a Douglas Fair, which is on Exmoor, near Dunster. Uh, I visited it a few years ago, uh, <laughs> but they don't tell you exactly where it is. They just tell you it's kind of in this forest somewhere.
1: Because people like you would go and chop it down. <laughs> there was a whole thing where, James, there's a, have you heard of the Chillingham cattle? There's a herd of wild cattle up in... Is it Yorkshire? Very, oh, very Northumberland. North? Northumberland, really, really way up north. No one has touched these cows for 300 years, right? The field is completely sealed. They live, they breed, they die all on their own. Occasionally, they throw over a bale of hay or some extra food in harsh winters and as soon as James heard about this he said I'm going to go there and touch them <laughs> <laughs> and now they're all in therapy <laughs>
3: sorry James. i did say that i'll admit but i didn't go in the end <laughs> but you did I, visit the tree though uh, yeah, no, Well, tree. i went yeah. to see the tree and i just thought that it's the tallest tree you're going to know which one it is right <laughs> yeah. but they planted it well they haven't planted it around loads of big trees but basically it is around the load of big trees mm. and so you just go there and you just kind of have to take the word for it that it's there really <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the u.s has a national register of big trees <laughs> um, but again they don't tell you where any of the trees are they just tell you the general area where they are and say it's called this and it's this height uh, and there was a spokesman from American Forest who does this register and he says we don't want to send flocks of tree spotters and paparazzi to harass the trees and ruin their lives <laughs> <laughs> which sounds like he's talking about me doesn't yeah, he? it? Does.
1: he yeah. <laughs> have you heard of the world's rarest tree no this nah. is so cool it's a tree called Penantia Baylissiana where so, is so it? That, uh, I'm not telling you <laughs> <laughs> From 1945, for about 70 years, there was only one in the world... And it was on a tiny island off New Zealand. And it became the last in the world when humans introduced goats to the island and they ate all the other trees. Oh my god. <laughs>
3: wow. I
1: think they found out just in time that, uh, the, that this was the last one. But scientists have found a way of uh, growing a load of new seedlings, so they've planted a load. Oh, uh, we're going to have to wrap up really uh, soon. So... Have you
2: just, can I just give a recommendation to everyone here if they haven't already seen this? Since you mentioned goats, have you ever seen the Argania trees, which are the trees that goats climb up? Um, they're so great. So there are, there's a kind of tree called the Argania tree, um, and goats climb it. And yeah, you just see them in its branches and just look it up. A R G A N I A. and How many t- goats
1: do you get in one tree? You
2: could, there are pictures of at least a dozen, I would say wow and, you know that's and just some of these trees
1: nah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: don't, don't tell them, Anna. <laughs> okay i think we should wrap up that's it that's all of our facts thank you so much for listening uh if you'd like to get in contact with any of us about the things we've said over the course of this podcast you can get us on our twitter accounts i'm on at schreiberland james at egg shaped andy at andrew hunter m anna
2: you can email podcast at <laughs>
0: And uh, yeah, uh, you can also go to no such thing as That's our website. Thank you so much for being here, guys. Thank you for listening at home. We'll see you again next week. Goodbye.